have you turn your attention to the book of Romans. So I'd like you to turn to chapter 12. I'm going to be sharing with you a message this morning that, uh, that I've shared before here. And uh, it's really prompted by the Bible College. I love the Bible College students. You guys are awesome. And uh, it is a part of what we actually experienced this weekend called a half day of prayer. And I've entitled the message, How to Maintain Your Spiritual Fervor. So I'd like to begin by, uh, by reading a, a, a verse, which is very rare for me to, to read a verse and then teach. We usually go verse by verse, but today, uh, for the purposes of this particular message, I want to share a verse, and then we'll be looking at other scripture as well, as it relates to this topic of how does a person actually maintain a consistent walk with God, rather than the up and down that a lot of people experience in their, in their relationship with the Lord. So, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 11. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Father, we ask as we study this text this morning and consider its application to our life, Lord, that you would really just stir us up as a body of Christ. We are so grateful to be able to worship you, Lord. We're so grateful for the body of Christ. We're so grateful for the word and for your spirit and for your plan and for your person and your love for us. Father, we're so grateful for you. We ask, God, that you would stir our hearts up, Lord, to be those that maintain our spiritual fervor in our service to you. And so, God, open our hearts, open our minds, work in a very wonderful way to move us and motivate us to be men after your heart, women after your heart, young people after your heart, and to be able to maintain a consistency in that fervency that brings you honor and glory and bears good fruit, lasting fruit, much fruit to your praise and your honor. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. <clears throat> I, um, over the years, have, uh, as a pastor, as a Christian, both personally and, and, and observing, have seen people go up and down in their walk with God. Most of us here, if we've been Christians any length of time, have had periods of time where we struggled, and it was kind of up and down, up and down. And um, what I want to share with you is that God has a better plan for all of us, that we would walk in a more consistent fashion with the Lord. Uh, a lot of us think that our spiritual life is just normal if we're going up and down, and, and then we go to a conference, and it's back up again, and then we have problems, and it's back down again, and then we go on retreat, and it's back up, and then we go back down again. And, uh, and this becomes fairly normative for a lot of believers in the church today. What I want to share with you is that that's not normative, that's not normal. There's something wrong with that. Because what Paul says here in the text, and we have evidence all of it through the, through the rest of the text of Scripture as well, is that God's plan is that we would have a consistent, abundant life. It doesn't mean that we're a problem-free life, but it means that we have a vibrancy in our walk with God that sustains us no matter what the circumstances are in a fruitful, uh, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. The word that, uh, honestly, every single word in this verse is important, but I'm only going to concentrate on one for the purpose of our time this morning, and it's the word uh, fervor. It's zeal. It means to be boiling hot. It's like molten liquid. I mean, it's like going to Kilauea Volcano and, and seeing it froth and, and bubble. That's the kind of word that this describes. And Paul says in the text here that we are never to be lacking in zeal, but we are to keep this spiritual intensity, this white-hot relationship with God in our service to, to the Lord. It's interesting. It's in the command form. It's not a suggestion. It's not a thought. It's not something to aim at. It's a, it's a priority that Paul says 
is something that every Christian should be really focused on and aiming at is a maintenance of that kind of a relationship with God. Now, in order for that to happen, there's a couple of ground things, kind of foundational issues that I want to address. Number one is that to have this kind of intensity with God, it's got to be premised on something that's lasting and motivating. And the only lasting and motivating premise that the Bible gives us for this kind of intensity is a relationship. And it begins with Jesus Christ. But that relationship has got to be based on love and a response to this incredible outpouring of God's kindness to us in Christ. And so we find if you look at in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, backing up, we find that Paul's whole premise, he's backing all the way up through the gospel that he's presented in chapters 1 through 8, 9 through 11, he's talking specifically about its application to the Jewish nation of Israel. But then he comes back in chapter 12 and he talks about the response that should be elicited from the heart of a believer when we understand what God has done for us in Christ. And so he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So Paul says that the only proper motivation for the development and maintenance of this white-hot, intense relationship with God has got to be motivated by love. There are a couple of examples in the, in the Bible, and uh, uh, in particular in the book of Revelation, as Jesus is talking to the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor. And there are two that I want to point out here briefly. The first is the church in Ephesus. This was an, a phenomenal church. Um, it's, a, it's stunning in its capacity, its quality, its character. They were hard workers, probably very well organized. They never quit or gave up on a task. Uh, they were uncompromising in their moral and ethical and spiritual standards. They were well taught. They persevered under tremendous stress and pressure. And they hated the very things that God hated. So they had a lot of strengths. But in, in the midst of that, Jesus had one thing that overshadowed all of those positive qualities. And he brings it out to the church and he says to them, there's one thing that's wrong. You remember what it was? They'd left their first love. So they were doing all the right things. And the problem is, is that when you are doing the right things without the motivation being love, you become a legalist. And that's a place that nobody wants to go and it doesn't bring life. So in order for the, this maintenance of our walk with God to be more consistent, the motivating, driving force behind our maintenance of our walk with God has to be this response to God. It's got to be a love relationship. And the Lord's response and exhortation to the church was simply return and do the things you did at first. Come back to this intense first love relationship with the Lord. The second church that uh, wasn't doing so well and actually represents the church age that we're in right now uh, the church of Laodicea, the apostate church, uh, they were in the final stages of spiritual bankruptcy. And Jesus said something very powerful to them. He says, you're lukewarm. We kind of know the rest of the phrases that Jesus used there. It's not very pleasant. But he basically said, I would rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's not a very pleasant uh, idea or thought uh, when you think about the Lord feeling that way about any church, much less any individual. But he has a solution for them, and he gives a, an exhortation. And basically, he says, behold, I'm at the door, and I'm knocking. It's just a pitiful picture of Jesus trying to gain access to his own church. And so what he's saying to the church of Laodicea is, let me back in, and let me run my church, and let me fill this place with the power of God to advance my kingdom and my purposes. So there's another example that we have on a more positive side uh, of 
what it means to have a love relationship and how we can maintain this intensity in our walk with God rather than have the constant flow of ups and downs. Uh, the person of Christ, of course, is our preeminent model of this. Um, we never see him confused. We never see him lacking in zeal. He never seems to be at a loss for what to do next or a decision to be made or the right timing. He's never ruffled. He always seems to know exactly what to say and how to say it and the proper timing of what to say and how to say it. And he's also in the right place at the right time doing the right things. We also find that he's never in a, in a meeting brainstorming for the next phase of ministry. He seems to be constantly at peace and yet doing the most powerful things that the earth has ever witnessed. This is the life of Christ. And through, through those 33 years and those three and a half very intense years of ministry, we never see him falling apart. We never see him not knowing the right thing to do. We never see him just kind of bailing on what God is doing in his life. He's there. He's present. And he's active constantly, day by day, moment by moment. The question is, how did he do it? And I want to suggest to you that though he was God in the flesh, that it wasn't his deity that enabled him to do it. It was several things that I'll point out here briefly. The first is that he was completely dependent on the Father. In John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking about his heart for God, and, and basically he says, by myself I can do nothing. And so he's, he's flying the flag early in the Gospels and identifying that whatever he does can't be done in his own strength. It has to be done with the strength and the help and the power of God himself. He also, uh, we're told, is that he was instructed by the Father eight times in the book of John. He says, in one way or another, my words are not my words. They're the words of the Father. In John 12, 49, he says, for I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I'm, I'm stunned every time I read this and think about it. Jesus repeatedly said, I have never said anything that wasn't vetted by God. I have never done anything that I wasn't instructed by God to do. And I'm just thinking, it's early in the morning here. How many of your words were vetted by God that you've spoken today so far? How many of those words were vetted this last week by God? Well, probably not a lot. I don't know what your percentage is, but we do a lot of talking without doing much thinking, and we certainly do a lot of talking without a lot of praying at times. So what we can ascertain from the Lord and from this claim, which we know to be true, is that he never said anything or did anything that wasn't vetted, instructed, guided, led by God, which means that he would have to be in constant communication with God because he talked a lot and he did a lot. So he wasn't inactive he was extremely active. In fact, the, the, the Gospel of John and other places say if we, there's not enough room in the entire world for the library of books that would, would be necessary to be written to contain what Jesus said and did. So he was very active. What this means is that he had this incredibly close relationship with the Father heart of God. The Bible also tells us that he was yielded to the Father. In Luke chapter 6, it tells us on one, one particular day, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he prayed all night. We find him doing the same thing in Matthew chapter 4, 23. In Matthew 26, 20, uh, 36, it says that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and of course we know uh, what happened there. 
And, uh, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray. And again, he prayed all night. Prayer was just a major part of the ministry of Christ. And he was the son of God. So what Jesus modeled for us is a life of, a, of deity in flesh expressing itself in total dependence upon God, receiving instruction from God, and a total abandoned yielding to the heart of God. These are the things that enabled him to maintain this intensity in his relationship with the Father. And we, if we desire the same kind of relationship, have to experience the same type of intensity in our relationship with God. That may seem a bit daunting, but I'm praying that as I share the rest of this message, it'll become a little bit more tangible and a little bit more accessible to all of us. But I want to begin by kind of illustrating this in my, my relationship with my wife. Uh, Becky, there she is. Um, we've been married for almost 25 years. We're coming up on our 25th uh, wedding anniversary uh, fairly shortly. I don't know, I do know the date, uh, but I'm not quite sure how many days it is from now, but it's not very long. And uh, we're coming up on uh, the 25th anniversary. I remember uh, the early days in, in knowing Becky, and we were both serving the Lord at a church in Honolulu, Calvary Chapel, Honolulu at the time, and loving the Lord and focused on Christ and ministry. We started working together in the youth ministry, and uh, we worked together for a full year bef before we expressed any interest in each other and began uh, exploring the possibility of a relationship together. Uh, but once that moment came uh, where we made that decision, I'm telling you, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about her. I loved to be around her. When I wasn't with her, I wanted to be talking to her on the phone. And when we weren't talking on the phone, I was thinking about the next opportunity that I'd have to be with her. I'd be looking forward to those days. Thursday Bible study's coming. She's going to be there. I taught a Bible study that she, she would uh, come to before we started dating. And, uh, and I remember uh, distinctly there was a time when she decided to go to another Bible study. And I was just devastated because Becky wasn't going to be at the Bible study. And I was like, who is this other Bible study leader, you know? And it was actually one of the guys I'd been discipling. And uh, so I killed him. And, um, <laughs> and then she came back. But, you know, there's this... There's this uh, there's this love that you've got that once that love is kind of going and is generated, it's just like you just, you know, oh, you just, it's hard to describe, but you know it because most of you have been there. Well, over the years, you know, uh, if you don't maintain that relationship, it can really, can turn into a nightmare. Something that was such a, a, a joy early on in the relationship can turn into harsh words and divorce and separation and brokenness and tremendous pain. And unfortunately, we see that far too often in, the, uh, in marriage relationships today, and unfortunately, uh, even among Christians. But the thing I want to share with you is that the same things that are, necess are ne necessary to maintain our walk with God are necessary in our relationships with people. And I want to share some things that Becky and I do uh, that have served to help us have a really strong marriage over these 25 years, and it's getting stronger and uh, we're more in love with each other than we've ever been and more devoted to each other and uh, more committed to each other than we've ever been before. And I think that that's the, the trend line that should be the experience of every person who's married and every person who's a believer in Jesus Christ. But it does require an investment. You can't simply start off well and then put the thing in neutral and expect that you're going to have a good result. We can't do that in our marriages and we can't do that in our walk with God. And unfortunately, I think sometimes in both those arenas, we've, we've done that. And the result is we pay a heavy price. 
And we experience a lot of ups and downs in our marriages and a lot of ups and downs in our walk with God. And I want to share with you that I believe that God has a better way for us and a better purpose, something more fulfilling and more lasting and satisfying and fruitful than the ups and downs that the world offers us. So there are three things that Becky and I do, and I want to relate these briefly to you and then transfer that parallel relationship to our relationship with God and explain that to you. But there are three things that Becky and I have done over the years that have really significantly added to the level of our commitment and intimacy and care and the depth of our growing relationship. And I want to tell you that all three things, of the, all, all three of these, I got dragged into by Becky. And so the... Um, so much of what I've learned about God has come as a result of my marriage to Becky. And so um, I really love you, and I owe you a great deal, and thankful to God for you. The first thing that Becky dragged me into kicking and screaming was what we call couch time. Couch time is, uh, is a phrase that we, we, we learned many years ago at a, at a marriage conference, and it basically, it's not what you're thinking. I know the Bible college, ooh, couch time, make out, you know, it's like, well... We do that sometimes. Um, I know it's a shock that a pastor and a pastor's wife kiss and things of that nature, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about actually sitting on the couch after a day of work and debriefing and holding hands and, and listening to each other and having time every day consistently where we can share our hearts with each other and care for each other and pray for each other. Um, I didn't mind the prayer part, but I'm a guy. And I can't speak for all the men here, but I don't do couch time. And I really don't like to relive my day once it's lived. I did that already. And uh, some of you ladies are maybe hearing your own vo husband's voice in my comments. But it's like I did that already. I really don't want to rehearse it again. And, um, and, of course, the wife wants to debrief and share and communicate. And for the men, it's like this is information I don't need and is not very helpful and the woman the entire time is trying to build relationship. The communication has very little to do with solving the problem and everything to do with connecting. And I didn't understand that very well at first. And uh, Becky would want to talk to me, and I'd be like, I don't really like that. It's not meaningful to me. And I was very selfish because that's how men are when we first get married is that we have to have that kind of beaten out of us, you know, by circumstances and by God's favor in helping us be be softened by a softer personality, the woman that God has given us. And so over time, uh, God began to really speak to me that I needed to do this. But I, I, I have to tell you a little story to just share how corrupt I am and bad I am and, and how this actually came to pass that it became a natural part of our life so much now that we every day have uh, not just one but sometimes two talks like this and lots of prayer together every day. And, uh, but I remember one time just getting to a point where we'd had another fight about communicating at this level like this. And so it was another kind of, I was tired, I came home, she wanted to talk, I didn't want to talk, her feelings were hurt, it was that kind of a scenario. And so uh, the next day I had a conversation with the Lord, I repented to Becky, asked her for forgiveness, and, uh, and I went to the Lord and I said, what do you want me to do? And uh, basically said, I want you to go back and I just want you to completely listen to her and let her talk. And I take a real interest in doing this, not, you know, begrudgingly. And so I said, okay. And so the next day I had this plan. And I kind of put my own little carnal twist on it because I, I thought to myself, I'll just see what, how this goes. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the gauntlet down and I'm going to go over the top on this thing and just see what happens. Because I thought to myself, if I let this happen, she's going to talk for an hour, you know. 
this is bad. It's really bad. You can say, that's bad. It's bad. I know. But I thought, I'm just going to let this happen, and she's going she's to talk, and we're all both going to realize why we can't do this every day. Well, I sat down, and I was really nice, and I said, hey, babe, let's, uh, let's have couch time. And she's like, really? And I said, yeah, let's sit down. And, you know, I'm initiating and everything, and let's sit down and have couch time. So we sat down, and, and we started, and I said, so tell me about your day. I wasn't being sarcastic. I was really throwing myself completely into this, but it felt a little strange to me. And I said, tell me about your day. And so she began to kind of like, um, well, this happened and that happened. And she was kind of a little timid at first about sharing because she wasn't quite sure how, how interested I was going to be. And I asked follow-up questions and took an interest in things and asked her more questions. And then she asked me about my day, and I forced myself to share about my, my day and uh, to be pleasant about it. And then I asked her some more questions, and then she asked me some more questions, and I asked her some more questions, and, and then suddenly I realized that she'd run out of material. <laughs> and I looked at my watch, and it had been about 15 minutes. And this enormous sense of shame and embarrassment and conviction just came over my heart. And I realized how much grief I'd given my wife over something so simple to do. And from that day on, I made a decision I would never not have couch time. And uh, we've probably missed a day or two here or there along the way as I travel or we're apart. But as a rule of thumb, we spend a lot of time together. And for what it's worth, men, what I thought was, a, was an effort in behalf of my wife has become one of the most precious experiences I have every day with my wife. And, um, and so I want to I commend to the men to... Uh, to not make the, the mistake I made early on in my marriage and to realize that no matter how long you've been married, it's never too late to make some changes. And so I want to encourage the men here to really give consideration to being considerate and kind and loving and giving and nurturing to the gift that God has given you in your wife. The second thing that God has... Um, and by the way... Now, we, we never sit on the couch and hold hands and look at each other like that. We almost always enjoy going for a walk. And so it's done in the neighborhoods, and it's wherever we go. We go down to the bike path. It's, I'm really fortunate because I run fairly fast, and she bikes fairly slow. We can actually do that together on the bike path for about half the time. And then she's like, I got to go. And then she's, you know, because she wants to get some real exercise. But we pray and talk, and we just we debrief and I never knew how meaningful that would be as we commit all these things to the Lord, and it's been totally life-changing for me. I feel like I've benefited the most, but she's benefited as well. Thank you for teaching me and being used by the Lord that way. The second thing that we do is that we go on date nights. I got dragged into date nights by Becky. We got dragged in actually before I got married because I was such a workaholic in ministry that my idea of a date was, come to me, I'm teaching a Bible study, you know? Come with me, we're doing youth group. Come with me, I'm doing accounting for the church. Come with me, I'm, I'm working on the sound system. That was my idea of a date with Becky. And uh, Becky kind of informed me along the way that it would be really helpful if she could have one night a week where she knew that we would have time alone without a lot of people around us. And I thought, man, that's a big request, you know? I mean, you, you're serious. Well, short story is, is that we've been dating ever since. And um, there's some times that we miss, but as, as a rule of thumb, we have regular times that we go out together. Uh, most of our dates over the years have had to be very inexpensive because we haven't had a lot of money. And so, uh, you know, they're very 
Um, you know, we, even today, we, we'll go get sushi at um, Kintaro's, and then we'll take it to some beach or some bench or some park, and, and we'll have a, a beautiful time together because it's not about the, the, the meal or even the location. It's about us. It's about time together. It's extended time that we have together. And it's been um, a, a glue and a, a salve and a bond that has nurtured this relationship in intense ways that has meant so much to me and to Becky. The, uh, the third thing that, that we do is that we take regular time to take little mini vacations together as a family. And that's really, I have to say that in addition to our date day, I spend every week, I take one day off for my family. And that's not a yard work day, although sometimes we do a little bit of that. But it's a day that we, we get out of the house as a family and I spend time with my sons and my wife. And we've been doing this, well, ever since our kids were, you know, little guys, one year old or younger. And uh, we spend the entire day uh, just enjoying each other and going on hikes and going on kayak trips. You know my sons. We're not doing anything girly. Uh, you know, it's all manly. And I have to give my wife credit. She's tough. And she, uh, she knows how to shoot weaponry and how to shoot bows and arrows and how to throw passes and football. And she can tackle. Uh, she knows how to wrestle. She's, she's really good at pretty much any, any boy thing. And... Uh, and has put up with all the boy movies we've watched. She, her, her crying plea is, could we please watch a, a chick flick? Could we watch a romance movie once in a while? And, uh, but she's, she's really been awesome in that regard. But we set aside a day a week as a family to be able to invest in the family life. And uh, part of the reason that I do that is because years ago, I was uh, helping a, a man named Carl Schabtok uh, finish out the last years of his life uh, he was the youngest manager in GE's history and president of GE at the age of 34. Uh, he was a nuclear physicist that worked on the nuclear subprograms for the United States. And uh, I had the privilege of being his friend in the final year or two of his life as a pastor. And a uh, uh, short story is, is that this man had invested his entire life in his career. He knew the heads of state and the presidents and the dictators of every country in the world. And uh, his house was a museum of their, of their gifts to him as their position of leadership uh, to this very famous man, uh, Carl Schabtok. And, um, but I, I also went through the process of watching him uh, lose his family and watching him in isolation with four children, adult children, and a wife that wouldn't visit him ever and uh, had no interest in him, and to spite him, sold all of his estate uh, for pennies on the dollar and gave away, just opened their house on the day of the estate sale and just let people take whatever they wanted. These fabulous works of art from all over the world just ev ev evaporated out of his house in about 15 minutes as these hordes of people just came in and ravaged and ransacked the house just to spite this man. In, out of everything he had, the only thing left was a painting on the wall and a vase from China. And as I watched him weep one day, the only time I ever saw Carl weep is the day that he shared with me that his life had been a tragic mistake and that though he was famous and though he had traveled the world, he'd lost the most precious thing that God had given him and it was his family. And on that day, I made a decision that I would make sure that my family was my first trust. My wife would be first, had a devastating conversation with my boys when they were about three years old and I had to explain to them that they weren't first, that mom was first and they're like just complete shock and they cried, and uh, then they got it, that it was actually their benefit that I put my wife first. 
and that I devoted my life to my sons even before you, as much as I love you and love the church and the ministry, that's the order that things needed to take. And so I made a commitment over the years to have a family day and, a, and to spend good time with my wife nurturing that relationship. The other thing that we do is that we take vacations. Sometimes we take weekend vacations. Sometimes we take a vacation on Sunday after church and we go overnight and go camping and fishing or whatever we're doing. Sometimes we get to go, somebody will give us a timeshare or there's an opportunity for us to stay inexpensively in a hotel somewhere and we'll just get away for a night or two. And then Becky does something really wonderful is that she's, over the years, every other year or so when we can manage it, uh, she'll plan a vacation for us. And these vacations have been so, so incredibly potent and powerful for the strength of our relationship and my relationship with my sons. And I'm very, I just am so blessed to, to have my, my boys. I just, I, I'll, I'll be able to go to my grave knowing that I was a good husband and knowing that I was a good father and knowing that to the best of my ability I was a faithful pastor. Those are the three things that are the most fulfilling things in my life that God has allowed me to do. And the first two are the priority for me. Those things have enabled Becky and I, though we've had some very difficult times in life. We've been through some tragedy. We've been through crisis. We've been through personal pain. We've been through a lot of things that have been very difficult. But in the midst of that, our relationship is on an upward trajectory. Even though we have these dips and loop-de-loos every once in a while, but our relationship is on an upward trajectory. The same is true with my sons and myself. But it, it, it happens because there's this commitment of time to the relationship. I know I've spent a lot of time talking about this, but I'd like to spend the balance of our time uh, for the next 15 minutes or so just talking about how this connects and relates to your walk with God. Because years ago when I was in seminary, a couple came in and were guest speakers in one of my classes. And in that class, they simply shared something that I'd never heard any Christian leader ever talk about. They talked about spending a half day alone with God and the importance of that in pastoral ministry and the importance of drawing off of the strength of that time alone with God. In other words, nurturing that relationship like I nurture the relationship and Becky nurtures the relationship in our marriage. And it was kind of foreign because, to be honest with you, all of the guys that were sitting in that class that day, we talked about it afterwards, and we, we asked, does your pastor do that? No. Does your pastor do that? No. Do you guys do that? No. Why aren't we doing something like that? And I made a decision that day that that needed to be incorporated in my life. And so I'm not quite sure how many years ago, this was probably 25 years ago, I made a decision to, began, to begin incorporating some things in my life that really now, looking back on it parallel, the healthy relationship I have with my wife. And it's based on three things. It's based on daily time with the Lord. It's based on having a, a time every week that's set aside for an extended period of time with the Lord. And it's based on times that I get away for protracted periods of time to be with the Lord. So I want to share those with you briefly. The first one is the most obvious, is that every day I need to be with God. Every single day I need to, I need to have communion with God. And I, and I accomplish that by having time in the Word and by praying that back, and by just meditating on the Lord, by exposing myself to this relationship, you know, the same things that I used to say about Becky, I don't have time for this, this is really not, I got work to do. And I hear people all the time say, I don't have time. Well, if you want to have a relationship with God like this, then keep on the same path of putting this aside, 
and saying that your work and your activities and your hobbies and your plans and your, your schedule precludes you from spending time in this on a daily basis because if that's what you decide to do, you will never have a consistent, on fire, that zealous, that, that passion, that boiling, flaming, molten hot experience with God. You'll have to settle for lukewarm because that's what happens to people that fail to nurture the relationship with God at that most fundamental level. That's why we really emphasize that in this church. We emphasize the importance of spending time in the Word of God every day. If you don't know how to do that, we'll train you how to do it. It takes about an hour to teach somebody how to have a really meaningful quiet time and then to have a tool that will last you for a lifetime of relational development in your walk with God. But that quiet time is the ground force. It's the, it's the foundation of our intimacy with God. And without that, we're, we're really relegated to a second-class experience in our walk with God. And we'll never be able to be consistent. We'll never overcome sin. We'll never bear the kind of fruit that God's intended us to experience unless we have that communion with God. Jesus needed it every day. Not a word came from his mouth. Not, a, not an act was, was done except that it was vetted by God. How in the world could that happen without constant communication with the heart of the Father in prayer? That's why the Bible says that we're to pray continually. We're, we're, it's not this, you know, going down the list of all these people that are sick and ill. Nothing's wrong with that. But it's the, it's the constant awareness that if we are to carry out this Christian life, we need to be in this close proximity with God so that what happens with Becky and me happens in your relationship with God, where we're answering questions at the same time for other people with the exact same answer. We're, we're, we're running into each other's conversations saying the same things. Why? We live together and we talk constantly and our minds are, poor thing, are kind of the same that she's got in my mind, but, but we think alike and we behave alike and we we strategize alike. Why? Because we know each other so well. That only happens with a lot of time spent with a person. And that's what happens with a believer when we spend time in the Word of God and saturate ourselves with His presence and allow that kind of communion and that kind of intimacy to take place in our walk with God. So that's the daily quiet time. And I, I, for your notes here, the wonderful thing seen, the wonderful thing applied is kind of the format that we encourage people to use. It's very simple. In fact, the, the tool that we use is called the 959 quiet time, meaning you can have a quiet time in as little as nine minutes and 59 seconds. It kind of reminds me of how humiliated I was when I finally realized that my wife just needed 15 minutes. Now, I, I, I spend more than that in my time with the Lord, and you can spend more time th than that, of course, but at the minimum, that kind of time can be totally life-changing, even with a short quiet time. The second thing that I've that I've incorporated into my life that has really helped me go from being kind of an up-and-down Christian is in, into a more stable life where I, I am able, even in the midst of difficulty, to maintain an intensity about the things of God is this weekly, I call it a half day of prayer. And uh, every Monday for the last, I don't know, 20-plus years, 23 years, I have set aside Mondays as a day that I would be alone with the Lord. So I usually get out of the house by 8 o'clock or so, and I'm gone until about 2. And I, I have an extended period of time that's like a big, long, quiet time, but on steroids. It's just different. I've got more material. I take a devotional book 
some things that are uplifting. I take some worship music with me. Um, I, I, I'm just yielding myself to God like on a family day. And I'm just presenting myself. And I'm saying, God, I just want to be with you. And um, so I've been doing this for many years. And I'll talk more about that in a moment because uh, what I want to talk about next is the time that I get away on like a monthly or it's like a mini vacation with God. And every month or every other month, I'll spend overnight away somewhere. And there are lots of places to do this, by the way, in Kauai. Um, you, can, you can camp at Camp Naui for $15 a night in their cabins. I mean, that's cheap, and it's a hot shower, and it's a safe place. I go there. Sometimes I go up to Kokei. I go camping in the mountains. Um, the beautiful thing about living on Kauai is I love driving on the beach with my truck and, and parking and fishing and, and throwing the rod in the water because if you've got a rod in the water, you can camp anywhere on Kauai overnight. Uh, well, not in the, uh, probably not at the Marriott in their pool area, but you can camp on the beach, not there, but a lot of places. But there's all kinds of places that I go to, to have these retreat times with the Lord, and it's so fulfilling and so satisfying. And, um, and so I want to share with you some of the components that, have, that I build into my time with the Lord, and I want to pass these on to you. And then we'll, we'll kind of come back to the weekly thing, because the weekly thing is kind of a, a miniature version of the longer monthly retreat or every other month retreat. And I kind of equate this as the mini family vacations that we take that are so instrumental in building our unity, giving us time away to clear our minds, to rest, and to just enjoy being together. The first thing that I do under, under monthly retreat alone with God is that I get ready for my retreats. Um, we're so fortunate and thankful for Becky and our family because she, when we go on these long vacations, she plans the whole thing. And we talk together and communicate about what we'd like. And, but she's, she's the one, you know, on Internet or making the arrangements. And we're really thankful for that, a big investment in our family life. But there's preparation that's necessary. So even in my walk with God, I need to find a place that's going to be free from distractions. And so I, I, I have to organize that in advance. i got a plan. Where am I going to go? Uh, what do I need to take? A place away from the home and the phone and the TV and the, the Internet. And, uh, and I plan how long I'm going to be. Is it going to be one overnight or two nights? Uh, I take a variety of spiritual resources and tools with me. Of course, I take my Bible. I'll take uh, my, my laptop, not for uh, gaming or for uh, Facebooking, but so I can actually spend some time journaling because I just I type way faster than I can handwrite. And, uh, and I think better on, on, uh, on a typewriter and a typing pad than I do in pen and paper. Uh, I take some, some worship music with me. Uh, I might even take a teaching with me that I download off of the internet, something inspiring, something encouraging, something that will elevate me, something that will challenge me in my walk with God. And then I'll take some, some classic devotional books with me. Now, I'm not necessarily even going to get to all these things. What I'm doing is I'm coming prepared for a party. I'm coming prepared and I'm saying, what do you want to do, Lord? I've got, I've got some stuff with me, but what I'm really about is about being with you. There's so many times that we've taken games and food and activities and, and, you know, Portuguese horseshoes and all kinds of stuff we never even get to on a family vacation. But you never know. You might need it. And so I bring that stuff. And it's just good preparation. I also make a determination, especially on my times with God, to keep things simple. About half the time I fast, half the time I don't. And it's... Um, it's, it's not a fasting of like crying out to God. It's more just an act of worship. Plus, honestly, I'm so jealous for every minute of my time when I get away. I don't want to be spending it making food and uh, heating stuff up and doing the dishes. So, uh, but I'm not the, the guy that is, uh, you know, up on the hillside lashing myself. And it's not punishment. 
any more than being away with my family is punishment. It's a blessing. Totally love it. But it's just a preference issue. So sometimes I take stuff I love to eat, you know, all the local food goes up with me, you know, and I'm snacking away and I probably gain a couple pounds by the time I'm done. And other times I've lost a couple pounds. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that I'm spending time with the Lord and that He's enjoying me and I'm enjoying Him. The other thing I do in preparation is that I write down things in advance that I would like to talk with the Lord about. Just it's a prompter for me to be able to go up in a, in a prepared way before the Lord. So there's some things that I give some thought to in advance. One of them is I, I think about my personal life and I assess it. And there are three areas that I basically look at. The first is I look at my spiritual health and I'll just scale it one to ten. Bob, how are you doing on a scale of one to ten? Not in ministry or anything else, but in your intimacy with God. What, what is it? Is it a nine? Is it a six? Is it a three? And I'll, and I'll write that out. And, uh, and then I'll begin to kind of fill that out some, but I, I, I'm not going to be too worried about where it is. I just want to identify where I'm at. And then I began to look at my marital health. That's really important in my marriage, uh, my relationship with my family, my family health. And I'm looking back, am I, am I doing those things? Am I spending adequate time with Becky? Am I dating her? How are our family days? And am I meeting her needs? I know what Becky needs and what ministers to her. Am I doing those things? They're things that I don't like to do necessarily, but am I helping her with those things that are meaningful for her? And this is my trust and my, my joy and my obligation before God is to, is to be the best husband I can be. The same with my sons. So I'll go through an evaluation process. This is all before I even go on the retreat. And I'm thinking through these issues. And then I look at my 